Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Poor Dave didn't know. He thought you might be watching a really great story. Well, it's great to see you this morning. I... Uh, wasn't planning to do a part two to Easter. Uh, just felt like it needed it. Uh, uh, even if one person's imagination was sort of turned loose and you actually returned, because almost no one returns after Easter. <laughs> Been doing it for a long time. I just thought maybe one person did. Uh, And I think that's partially because going to church on Easter feels like a a year's worth of going to church. But if you happen to return, I'd like to fill in a few gaps and sort of keep it in the same vein, no TV, just conversational and centered around the idea of story. We find meaning best in a story. That includes our lives. As human beings, we, we live in story because we're aware of time. We're aware that time is going to end. And that makes us think of a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's just perfect story. It's how stories work anyway. And so I asked you the question last week, what story have you fallen into? Because uh, somehow you have interpreted your life within a story. It doesn't matter what your story is. Even if you say, I have no story, there's a story to that. And so whatever, however you view the world, your worldview is usually in a story, even if you haven't consciously uh, considered that. And so I argued last week that Christianity validates uh, your story, my story, better than I think other religions do, better than secularism does. It doesn't prove Christianity. But if, if you're honest, I think it's a better explanation for your longings. And I think it offers more. It offers uh, more resources for the elements of your story. And story requires good guys and bad guys. There's, there's evil. There's, uh, there, there's the need for rescue. There, there's all those factors in a story, and I think... Christianity offers the best resources for understanding those and how you see the world. Christianity is very unique in this way. Incredibly unique in this way. Uh, Because we have a God who's put himself in our story. It's like the ultimate validation of your life and story is that God was willing to put himself in it. 
What does John 1.14 say? Think about this. The Word became flesh. The Word. Whatever you were going to define, whatever words, language, communication, it fit best in a story. And so it became flesh and lived it out. God became part of the narrative. He put himself in the story because a story says it better. A story says it better. He didn't just throw down pamphlets. He came and entered our world, our lives. And he validated our world. He validated your life and your longings by doing that. He didn't say, it's all so evil, I can't touch it, I can't come near it. He didn't say, none of that means anything. He validated all of those things. Our humanity. It is the highest spiritual thought you can have to consider that God would come here. Even the gods we make up don't do that. They're aloof. They're far out. They're demanding. They're not loving. No other God is described as loving. Not even the ones we make up. This is incredibly radical. You say, why would he enter our stories? There are multiple reasons. But essentially, John 3.16 says, love. Love made him enter our stories. Love made him come and redeem. God sent his son into the world because he loved it. It's just the ultimate sacrifice. It's the two thoughts of God coming here and doing it out of love are the highest spiritual thought you can have. And no other thinking comes close to it. This explains, I think, the best. Why love is so important in your life. Why it is so intrinsic to all of life. I want love and I want to be loved. Even if I fight it. Even if I have a hard time receiving it. And some of us do. I was created by a God of love. A relational God who existed in love. Who created the world to share that love. And so love is sort of the essence of existence and eternity. Why would I even want to live forever? I'll give you the key reason. I don't want to leave people I love. I don't think that just existence for in and of itself is worth existing forever. I love. That's why. 
the eternity that I imagine is personal, like I'm personal. It continues the story that I've been in. It doesn't change the story. It doesn't dehumanize me. It doesn't depersonalize me. It doesn't tell me I, I, all the longings I've had were an illusion all my life. It validates all of them. It's why people matter. It's why death is so deplorable. It's why evil ought to be judged. Someone ought to say, these things shouldn't have been happening. That's part of the story. But in the secular world, the story is, eh, there really isn't evil. You have no right to judge what anybody else is doing. And there are no answers, and there's no meaning. And so Christianity, I think, offers a God who validates our stories and invites us into his story, what we called last week the great story. Now, let me tell you mine. So... Uh, my mom got pregnant with me at 15, lived in South Florida. And, uh, of course, my mom and dad were just, they were just high school sweethearts. It wasn't the kind of love you'd build a marriage on. My grandfather saw that. So um, he gave the money to my mom for me to get an abortion or for her to get an abortion. And she was young. She didn't know what to do. So she one day finds herself in an abortion clinic. And she's sitting there and something happened. I won't describe it to you. But she said God opened her eyes to something in there. And she said, I, I can't do it. And she ran out. And she gave the money back to my grandfather. My grandfather at the time was only thinking, you two can't have a kid. He didn't know what we know. My mom said, I'm doing this. I'm doing it by myself if I have to do it. My father went ahead and married her. And so began our little family. I call it that. Um... A couple things about that. Of course, their relationship was rough. They were, they were, they were not ready for this in any, by any stretch. They're 16 years old and trying to raise. They eventually had two, two more daughters, one five years younger than me, one one year younger than me, uh, my sisters. And um, they tried to raise us. My family was... My father, it was like, it was like living, it was like living at Woodstock. Okay. In the sixties, you had drug, sex, and rock and roll was the story of our home and life. Uh, literally, I saw more things as a kid. By first grade, I had seen almost every drug used in the harshest ways, and its effects. I didn't know any different. There was just a rule in our house. Don't eat anything off the floor. It's a good rule in any house. 
But in our house, you're going to come across a few things you really shouldn't eat. And I remember my, my sisters and I, we didn't obey all the rules. For some reason, that rule, we did obey. And certainly it saved us. But my father was not treated well as a kid. My grandfather was a hard man. His father was a hard man. And so uh, they... He was treated so horribly that he had no self-esteem. He was very angry about it, and drugs was his way of dealing with it. And by the time I was in second grade, he left. He was abusive. He was angry. He was... uh, um, not easy to deal with. And so, uh, so that was difficult. I came to understand later why he was the kind of man he was. He was abusive to my sisters, especially he was abusive to my mother. And uh, it just couldn't last. He was not faithful. There was, there was no, there was nothing, nothing to hold our family together whatsoever. Uh, I found myself in sports. No one in my family liked sports. My father didn't like sports. His father didn't like sports. Genealogically, there is no athleticism that exists in the entire Chiafalo history. Okay, this is the reason why sports didn't end up my thing, even though I really liked it. Uh, but, it, but it saved my life. I mean, we, we would smoke pot with my mom and dad when I was in, and their friends, all their friends, when I was in kindergarten and first grade. But I love sports so much that, you know, on Monday nights they used to have this, that commercial that comes on that would say uh, one of these athletes. This is when Howard Cosell was doing halftime. Uh, and then... And, and he would say, you know, one athlete would come on in a commercial and say, don't do drugs. Yeah, because athletes didn't do drugs. And I remember coming home from school one day. I was in second grade. And I looked at my mom and I said, I'm an athlete. I got to stop smoking pot with you people. <laughs> and so I did. She remembers the day I came home and did that. So sports became my way out, sort of the... Uh, my Savior, couldn't ultimately save me because you run out of talent. But it almost saved my life. And so by then, my father's gone. And I remember the day when my father left for good. He, uh, he was parked out in the front of our house on the street. My mom was sitting on the front porch of our house and Florida, and I was relaying messages to them. I was saying what she needed to say to him, and I remember when he left. Didn't really understand at the time. 
So my mom had to sell the house because he was unfaithful. He was really addicted, and by then on heroin, and uh, angry at the world. He needed to be out of our life, I learned. But, but, but it was going to be tough on my mom to raise three kids now. And so she did best she could. Looking for love wherever she could find it. So lots of men in our lives. Um, and, and her trying to make it work in three jobs so nobody could ever go with me to games. And nobody could, uh, could really do that. They couldn't provide that kind of leadership. But my mom loved us, took care of us, even though it took two and three jobs at times to do it. We had to move a lot because we'd move out of apartments. So we could, we could pack an apartment at midnight faster than anybody you've ever seen in your whole life and be gone because we couldn't pay the rent. And then we'd be in another apartment and end up in another school, and I went to countless schools. And so that was our life. Got to junior high. Somehow we made it. I don't know how. I there's no explanation. I can't explain it. But in junior high, of course, here I am starting to grow up. Junior high was incredibly difficult. And I remember coming home from school one day in eighth grade, and I walk in the house. And my mom and I were really close. I mean, my mom loved us. We were we were tight. Our sisters, we had a, it was a, it was a, it was a family that you would say, they're nuts. But man, did we love each other. And so I came home from school one day and I heard her crying in the, in the back in eighth grade. I had just heard somebody crying. Went into her bedroom and she was sitting on the edge of her bed on the phone, bawling. I go, what's the matter? What? She just handed me the phone. On the other end was my dad. He had had to run from Miami. He was now in L.A. He had just gotten pretty seriously beat up. He hadn't had solid food in 30 days. He was 31 years old, weighed 130 pounds. And had nowhere to turn. And he said on the phone to me, I, I think I'm going to die. He, he had no one to reach out to for help. He calls my mother. And my mom has no idea how to help him. But she went to work. Resourceful gal. And she found a place in South Florida, Pompano, just a little north of Fort Lauderdale. It was called Turning Point. It was a rehab center. Who would take my father for... Literally 18 months, if he'd be willing to stay, I'd take him for, they'd take him for 18 months for free. Turned out to be a Christian rehab. We had no idea what that meant. No idea. So he goes in there and uh, fights, runs away, finally decides he's going to stay because they said this is the last time we're going to come get you. And uh, stuck it out. 
Now, meanwhile, we're not allowed to see him for six months. We can't have any contact with him. He could hardly read when he went in there. So, a few, so after six months, we get to go see him. And I promise you, in six months, I, I felt like I was looking at a completely different human being. I, I mean, literally, physically. Um, he had put on weight. He'd started working out. Physically, it was obvious he was changing. And, but spiritually, he was just a completely different kind of man. I had no idea what was going on. He was loving. He was serving. He was singing. And I'm amazed by this. We're all amazed. I'm like, what'd you do with my dad? And so uh, I, he would just quote verses when we were together. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I memorized just going to visit him. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I memorized that verse before I knew what a Bible was, before I knew who Jesus was, before I knew anything. All I know is that it, it applied to my dad. And so a year later... I'm going, I'm in, I just finished ninth grade. And he graduates. He graduated at the top of his Old Testament class. Completely different man. He, he met a gal in there who worked at the rehab center. They got, ended up getting married. My mom said, why don't you, you and your sisters, move in with him for the summer and get to know your dad again. So we reluctantly did. We, we didn't know what to expect or what that meant. We already knew what. Uh, we did it. And then that summer, every night at dinner, he would open the Bible. He would pray. He didn't jam it down our throats, but he got us excited about biblical things, his life and stuff like that. And I remember just being enamored with it. Like for the first time in my life, somebody sharing these kind of things with me. And it was my own dad who wasn't in my life. Couldn't have been. And so um, we went through that summer. I was just your typical teenage boy. I was trying to meet girls, and I was trying to just play sports, and those were the things that were important in my life. Meanwhile, I'm learning this stuff, and it's starting to impact me. I know it is. By the time the summer's over, I have... I, I understand spirituality a whole lot more, and I decide to give my life to Christ. Nobody even asked me to do that. I just said, I want this. And I remember the hardest thing I had to do, because my father and I had this conversation about what it meant for me. And he said, You're, he goes, you know, there's a Christian school up the road. I'd, I'd love for you to stay with me. And go in there. I said, you mean not, not go back with mom? Yeah. I don't know if I can do that. Because I knew it would break her heart. Here I am just days away from giving my life to Christ. And I have to call my mom and say, mom, I think I'm going to stay with dad. And no, it broke her heart. She told me later it did. But on the phone, she knew that's the best thing for me. So she said, son, I think that's a great decision. 
I did it. Changed my life completely. And that's what I want to show you what happens when, when God's story becomes part of your story. I just want to tell you what happened to me then. So remember in Acts 2 when Peter preaches the first sermon after the resurrection. It's 50 days after the resurrection. And he says to the Jews, you, uh, you crucified him. But God has raised him up and made him Lord. Defeated death. And the Jews, they're, they're all saying, they start to say, what in the world are we going to do? Because that's what, that's what happens. You've got to ask that question, what do we do? What happens to you when you realize this incredible truth has come into your life? that Like somebody's pulled the lid off of death and opened up eternity. What do you do with that? Well, Peter, I just, want to, I just want you to think about two verses. Peter, they're big spiritual words, by the way. Just hang in there. He says, repent and be baptized. And the Holy Spirit is going to, is going to be God's gift to you. Those three words. Repent, baptism, and Holy Spirit. And so uh, all three of those things happen. And they immediately get connected to believers, a church. Church starts immediately after that. And the Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayer together. We learn later that Acts 2 is where the church started. So it was repent, be baptized. Holy Spirit's going to come into your life. And then you're going to get connected with other believers. So if you're wondering, you say, what happens when your story connects with God's story? Well, that's essentially the four things that happen. Now, you, may not, you may not have called them those things. You may not have, uh, you didn't maybe even know those words. And so I kind of want to tell you how they worked for me. Because here I am only 14 years old. I know very little. But I do know my life's been changed. I don't see things the same. I mean, I've made already incredibly radical decisions. And, uh, and remember this. Once you recognize that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, you know he's Lord. First of all, he loves me because he died on a cross for me and rose from the dead. There's love. And now since he's the Lord, I can't run my life anymore. Are those two easy to compute or what? I don't get to call the shots anymore. And I'm loved in a, in a way I cannot describe and never have been able to experience. And so what does repent mean? This is, how it, this is what it means, even if you don't know what the word is. Okay? It basically means you just rethink your whole life. I'm not going to be living with mom anymore even. Wait a minute, I'm not living with mom anymore? My father abandoned us. So you, you review all of your plans. I thought sports was going to be the most important thing. Girlfriends meant everything to me. Up until that point, girlfriends broke my heart, my heart in ways I cannot describe. Okay? I can't describe. Review all of your plans for living is what repent means. I, I, 
I used to think this way. I don't think that way anymore. It's rethinking everything about your life. Let me give you some things that made me rethink about. Pain. Just perspective on hurt and failure and brokenness and forgiveness. How do I forgive my dad? Leaving my mom in the lurch was more of an issue for me than me. Because I know what hell she went through. How do you deal with that? And then freedom. It's a big word. We love that word. Everybody wants to be free to do whatever they want to do. I was doing whatever I wanted to do, and it was killing me. What we call freedom is really enslavement. I'm just enslaved to something. It could be sports, girlfriends. It could be anything. If you're 14, it's probably those things. I had no idea what good was. All I knew was I was better than my sisters. And that made me feel really good. And then all of a sudden, I start to realize I need God as much as anyone else in my life needs God. I'm not as good as I thought I was. Now, all of a sudden, I understand sin in a different way at a 14-year-old level. Family got redefined for me. I learned sports was an idol. Because uh, I thought it changed my life. Um, girlfriends. So I have this girlfriend at 14 years old. At the end of the summer, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to, we're, she's, she's a little older than me. She lived right around the corner from where I was living with my dad. And my dad sort of started to alert me to the fact that there's some things in your life that you're probably going to have to to change. And I got kind of alerted to it. But this particular girl, I really liked her. She was really popular among the people that we hung out with. She was a little older than me. And she, uh, she wanted things I didn't want now. And I, I remember her inviting me into her room one particular day. And it was the day that it hit me. I cannot be with this girl. We are not headed in the same direction. We do not see life going. This was a kid, me, who felt like a ton of bricks for whatever girl that I was in love with. That was it. This was the one forever. I'm talking about even from second grade, I could tell you about Kim in second grade. (laughs) And so this was me saying, we can't be together. This is not the road I'm going down. Change me on weekends. Used to sleep in on Sundays. Played football on Saturdays. You're going to, you're sleeping in on Sunday. Not anymore. Dad's waking us up. We're going to church. And I fell in love with church. And then he got me connected to the school into a youth group. And I was, I, I, I couldn't wait to get up and go to church. So my weekends changed. My music changed. I used to stand around in seventh grade in my whitey tidies listening to Black Sabbath with headphones on in the living room. It was just a dumb thing I did as a kid. I think about, and I remember, I remember 
doing that anymore. You know what happens when you come to Christ? You don't even know all the big 50-cent words. It just dismantles you. It dismantles you from the inside out. By the way, if you're wondering if you're a Christian, ask yourself, have I been dismantled? Have I been dismantled from the inside? Has this story now so taken over my story that I don't even know who I am? Uh, N.T. Wright gave this illustration. He could have been more graphic, but it was enough to help me. Just try to give this to you. He says, what does it mean? What does it feel like when God comes into your life? He says, uh, he said, I once imagined it as a, a fantasy Oxbridge scenario, he called it. A rich old member, imagine, gives to a college a wonderful, glorious painting that simply won't fit in any of the spaces available to the college. And that is so magnificent that eventually the, the college decides to pull itself down and rebuild itself around this great unexpected gift. Discovering as it does so that all the best things about the college are thereby enhanced when the new structure and all the problems of which people had been aware are thereby dealt with. It's the idea that somebody gives you something great, like God gives you something great, and you take this great thing and you, you stick it somewhere in your life hoping you can fit it in, and you realize you really can't fit it in anywhere. you got to literally rebuild your whole life around it. You can't just take it. And if you've done that, then you know why Christianity is so frustrating to you. Because you've tried to fit it into the life you've kept living. You wanted to keep your sports and your girlfriend and your weekends and your whatever it is you wanted and your anger and your forgiveness. You wanted to hold on to it all. That's not what Christianity is. He's the Lord. He calls the shots. You build your life around him. He doesn't, he doesn't come and hang in your life. You can add him to all the other things you had. And then baptism. I remember. I remember when the pastor of the, it was Kirk Nowry. It was Kirk Nowry. It was my youth pastor at the time. He goes, have you been baptized? I said, no, I haven't been baptized. He goes, you need to, you need to, you need to get baptized. I didn't understand what baptism was, but let me tell you what it is. What baptism does, put you in the water. It's this visual that tries to capture this dismantling that's happened to your life. It captures that. Because it's death going into the water. Coming up out of the water's life. It's a new life. And in other words, there's a part of you that dies. When we talk about a new life, we're talking about there's a part of you that literally does die, that has to die in order for you to live. And so in baptism, when, when that happens, a part of you dies and a new life takes over. And you're, so I'm, at one time, I'm set apart from the world. When I come up out of that water, I'm set apart from this life, and I have just entered into this new one with a new, in a new community and a new group of people, new values and everything else. But it's not alone. It doesn't happen by yourself. You don't think to yourself, oh, so i got to go through all these motions. I can tell you right now that if you'd have asked me in ninth grade, you want to be baptized? I said, what are you smoking? I said, I quit smoking that in second grade. <laughs> what are you smoking? 
But when you come to Christ, that third thing, that Holy Spirit, comes into your life, and it just starts to do all the dismantling work for you. Go, I don't know how to dismantle my life. Holy Spirit will take care of that for you. So if you're going, I don't want to do this because I don't want to have to do that. You don't have to do anything. Holy Spirit's juicing you. You get energy. I don't know where you get it from. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, slowly starts to empower you to do things you never thought you could do. Orienting your life around things you never thought you could. Get new desires. You get new loves, new values. You don't like that anymore, even though you used to like it. And it's very much like uh, falling in love. You know, you can't picture yourself doing the things you do once you're, when you're in love until you're in love. And then you go, I don't know how I did it. You know, I have four boys. And I'll look at them. And this is a really illustrating. Three of them are married now. One of them could be in love. The fourth one could be in love. But the third, at least the first three I know are in love. All three of them. And if you'd asked me, before that love came into their life, will your kids ever be really good adults? I just said, I don't know. I'll be honest. Will they ever be selfless, sensitive, caring? I just said, I don't think so. You better create, be prepared for a world without it. But to be around my boys when they're around the wife that, that they have, I'm going, that's all it took was a little love, baby. And you're not the same person anymore. That's how it is for me in spirituality. That's how it is for me in my relationship with Christ. It's love. It's totally love. The Holy Spirit's helping me be all the things that my love wants to be for him that are so hard for me to be. But the love allows me to let the Holy Spirit do that. And then the final thing is, and these people got together, and they devoted themselves to teaching. Because one of the things you got to do is you got to get connected to a community of people who can help you learn spiritual truth. Because if you're by yourself trying to learn spiritual truth, you will get in trouble. But if you get connected to a group of people who will help you learn what it means to know God, what it means to live spiritually, what it means... Uh, all, all the things, because it says you, you get taught, you get connected to people, because without people, there's just no way to, to live out the spiritual life without other believers in your life. You can't do it. All the letters in the New Testament, all the letters in the New Testament are written to churches or to people in them. Now, how are you going to read those? And apply what they're teaching if you don't have a community to live them out. You got to have it. And the church draw, and what happens is the Holy Spirit draws you to those people. And so you connect with them and then you celebrate what we're doing now together. We're celebrating. You pray together. You, you, your spiritual life gets lived out with one another. They devoted themselves to one another. That's what happens. That's where the Holy Spirit drags you into a community. And there you find understanding. There you find modeling. I didn't know how to be a father. I didn't know how to be a husband until I got in the church.
And then you find them. You find dads in here. You'll find husbands in here. You'll find wives in here who are doing it the best they can according to the way God would have them do it. And I'll tell you what, then you start learning how to be one. So if you say, you know, I'm not really that great of a father. I'm really not that great of a husband. I'm really not that great of this. And the Holy Spirit's been trying to get your behind connected to people who are, and you won't do it. And anything you're not, get connected to, to some people who are, and you'll become. Anything you want to call it there. Learn how to be a man. Didn't even know how to be a man. Then all the other things that come with that, learning to love, serve, find comfort when you're desperate, give comfort to others, strength, empowerment. You say, how how does anybody live the Christian life and, and stay, you know, stay intact and stay on it? You need a community of people. That's how, the story, that's how the story goes when he comes into your life. That story just sort of takes over your story, and your story gets caught up into that story. Now, let me just say this. Uh, and I'll close. I uh, came across this book. I told you that I had read On Fairy Stories by... Uh, Tolkien. Well, I came across this gal who wrote her dissertation on Lord of the Rings. She's an uh, English lit uh, professor, and she wrote her dissertation. She was an atheist, and she went, uh, she did her dissertation on it, and the stories that Tolkien told eventually stirred her mind, and, and she became she, she moved from atheism to deism, similar to, to the way C.S. Lewis did, and then eventually gave her life to Christ. It was the incarnation, she says, the crucifixion and the resurrection that drew me into that story, and it just changed my life. I realized this was a true story. It was a historical event, and I had to do something about it, and she gave her life to Christ. And she has uh, written a few books, and I read this one this week. It's called Apologetics and the Christian Imagination. And on one particular page, she writes, uh, just, it looks like a kind of a poem, but it's really, I don't know if it's a poem or not, but it's a short description of conversion, what happens when you come to Christ. Just listen to the words. A twitch upon the thread, and here I stand, pausing at this door. I wish that I could turn my, I wish that I could look aside or back away. Or pretend that I don't see where this threshold leads. Deny the summons and the sudden urgency that blows away so much useless chaff. My nonchalant excuses for delay. I thought I had control. I thought I was in charge. Until I followed truth which led me here where I both want and fear to enter in. I must lay down my arms. That much is clear. But this is not the end. Here I begin. For where else could I go if I retreat? 
These are the exact things you feel when you come to the door. You feel compelled. You can't move away. And there's nowhere else to go. What better victory win than this defeat? Love that line. This is going to wreck me, but I got to go in. This is going to wreck me, but I got to go in. It's a defeat that's the greatest victory you'll ever know. Don't you bow your heads. I just want to say this to you before I pray. He fits into any story. And he must. Because no story is adequate without him. So I pray you invite him into your life today. And Father, that's my prayer that someone in here today would say. I see it. I'm compelled. And even though I don't understand it, and even though this is going to wreck me, it will be the death of me. It will be the, it's my only chance for life and victory to just surrender their lives to you. Draw someone in today. Person standing at that door wondering if it can be done, draw them in today. Right now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>